0: Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment incredible sports wagering intelligence.
2: Welcome sports fans, this is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton, that's right, we are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter is how you get in touch with us. It is SportsGarden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N, 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio. Any of our fine syndicated affiliates. Also, listen to us every week on Wannabet Weekend Edition. Over 100 stations across America. You can all check that all out at sportsgarten.com. Guys, we are on that lull, right? The all-star break is here. We're sitting there in that little bit of a sports lull right now where a lot less talented sports talk hosts are begging for trying to find content, things to talk about. One of the big conversations this week is how we don't talk about Mike Trout. That's the conversation that we're talking about, is that we don't talk about Mike Trout. Well, not here. You don't have to worry about it. We are going to take a look at the second half. I have a lot of insight into the second half. We wanted to go take a look at Major League Baseball, where we can make some plays, where we can look at, re- look at the futures plays. If you're in a good position, if you are holding a ticket for a future play, I'll tell you if I think you should kind of hedge your bet or continue to move on. If you're not in the futures market yet, it's not too late to get involved. We'll touch on a couple of those situations as well. But I want to start off and talk about the Home Run Derby, not because it's a big thing to bet on. And I warned everybody, guys, you know, make sure it's just a fun bet, all-star game, the same kind of thing. But the Home Run Derby is right with controversy when you're talking about the reality that is the Home Run Derby and what happened during the Home Run Derby. What happened during the Home Run Derby has got to have every sports better out there up in arms. So let me set the stage for those that don't know. The Home Run Derby is a very bet-on event. It's a, it's an event that people really do go into. And, I, you know, look, I try to warn everybody, don't try to make big money on the Home Run Derby, but have some fun with it because I understand the reality. Look, you know, from a professional sports bettor's perspective, you're not dipping into the money that you've already won. You're not dipping into your actual funds. But I do understand the everyday better. I get it. You know, it's the middle of the summer it's on the weekend, you guys are hanging out, you want to go to the bar, you go to the beach, maybe you're listening to, oh, uh, you come home, maybe you're sitting in your pool, and you want to kind of, you know, throw a couple bucks out. You want to kind of have some kind of action on it. I get it. I really do. I understand that narrative. I don't agree with it. But with that being said, I told you guys, hey, I'll throw 20 bucks on a guy over here or there. Oh, why not? And if you listen to the show, I did say I like Julio Rodriguez to have a huge night. So, what I did was I bet on him over total home runs, which, depending on where you were looking, you could have got this as low as 24 and a half. It was all the way up to 27 and a half. Didn't matter. First round, cash your ticket at the end. Okay? I think we all knew that Pete Alonso was moving on to the second round. He was minus 210 to do so. If you wanted to throw money on that, okay, no problem. I didn't bet on things like longest home run or any of that. But I also had Julio Rodriguez at 10 to 1 odds to win the whole thing. And my thought process behind it was, you know, look, I think Juan Soto is probably the odds-on favorite, but I think maybe his head might not be completely in the right place. I didn't believe in Jose Ramirez. I didn't believe in Kyle Schwarber. I didn't believe um, in really anybody but Pete Alonso. I didn't believe in Pouls, no. Uh, Corey Seeger, no. So I believed in Julio Rodriguez and, and kind of Juan Soto and Pete Alonso. So it was a three, basically a three-person race for me, except the odds at 10-to-1 I couldn't turn down. So I didn't see... The the ridiculous Juan Soto against uh, Julio Rodriguez. Insane 80-something home runs at Julio. I didn't see that coming. But I I cashed small tickets. Very small tickets. Call them, you know, uh, dinner tickets, right? I mean, I could buy dinner this week for for the family over the, the couple of bucks that I won. That's not what I'm talking about, though. What I'm talking about is that the people that did go big into this, and people do go large into it, whether we agree or not here. People go large into it. They lost a lot of money. Because of ridiculous, idiotic errors made by ESPN and Major League Baseball. And I'm turning it around to both ESPN and Major League Baseball. I know a lot of people are kind of throwing the, the problems on ESPN. But it's also in Major League Baseball because Major League Baseball continues to tell, to tell us that there's an integrity situation. Well, so what happened was, uh, look, we're all rooting for Albert Pujols. He is the elder stateman, statesman there. He's the guy especially within the Hispanic community that you saw them all. I mean, they they were worshiping him like he's a godlike, and in you know, in a lot of ways, he was their guy, right? Growing up, I mean, he was that bigger-than-life figure. So we're all rooting for him. I was sitting at home rooting for him as well. Albert Pauls only has 13 home runs. They go to a sudden death, and and here you go. Now you get a round two. Well, Albert Pauls and Kyle Schwarber were going up against each other in the way that the bracket format is in the first round. Albert Pujols, and, and you watched this the whole time, by the way. Let me, let me digress here. You watched the entire time where the ticker on ESPN was not correct. We watched balls go out, and they didn't count them. And then a second later, they did. But overall, Albert Pujols was, was given 20 home runs, and he won 20-19 to 19 over Kyle Schwarber. The thing is, if you're watching at home, and you're watching intently, which I was. I was sitting with my son, and we were counting. Home run, home run. We were counting as they went over the wall. Kyle Schwarber's home run that would have been number eighteen overall. They didn't. They just didn't count it. They literally. We watched it go over the wall. The number stayed at seventeen. It continued to stay at seventeen. It didn't move off of seventeen. He then took a swing. The ball went over the wall and stayed there. He took another swing. Ball went over the wall and went to eighteen. So he was robbed. One. He was completely robbed. Now. When you dive into that from a sports betting perspective, well, Kyle Schwarber was minus 325 to win that round. Some guy out there legitimately put $40,000 on him to win that first round. And he was eliminated. He was eliminated because of a mistake, because of an error. And you could watch it. I mean, you, you could absolutely watch this online. It's not something that's hidden. So Kyle Schwarber was robbed. But Kyle Schwarber's maybe he didn't care. Hey, it's Albert Pulis, Let him have the day. But Kyle Schwarber's better-minded? That was a big problem. That was a serious issue. Not only that, Kyle Schwarber total home runs, well, that impacted that for sure. I think his total home runs were about 29. Well, he got 18. He would have had 19 home runs. Or he would have had 20 in the first round. And he would have had a, another three swing off to, to kind of get to the next round. If he gets to the next round, he's going to crush that. And there's another ticket that didn't get cashed. Why? Just because ESPN and Major League Baseball miscounted. It had nothing to do with anything more than a miscount counting. We watched it at home, guys. It's not a hard situation to go back and to correct yourself minutes afterwards. No, 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 well, we missed one. We're going to a sudden death. No. I tended to believe that at the time they didn't do it because it was Albert Paul's. You watched and they commented on Kyle Schwarber before he went up to bat, turning around and saying to people, like, what do I do? Do I go out and beat him? They even had a conversation on the broadcast do you allow Albert Pujols to sort of win? And everybody on the broadcast admitted, no, 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 you go out and compete. You know, you're here to compete. You're here to compete. But a lot of guys don't take the home run derby that serious. This is why I said don't bet on it. And the fact that Kyle Schwarber was sort of alluding to the fact that he might throw it, which he didn't, by the way. He just had a bad round. But even that, where is the integrity that Kyle Schwarber was even talking about throwing it? What, where was the integrity there? Where, where is the, the sports betting integrity when a guy on national TV is talking about that and the announcers are literally having a conversation about should he tank right now? Should he just allow Albert Pauls to win? Now, of course, on ESPN, and of course, on a major league baseball production, they're not going to talk about the sports bettors that are holding tickets. They're not going to talk about the guys that lost unfairly. They're not going to have that conversation. and A lot of times sports books do give money back on on bad spots or. No, no, they didn't give anything back here. Kyle Schwab was the overwhelming favorite -325 and that was a giant mistake. A giant loss for anybody that bet Schwaber, a giant win for anybody that put bet pools. You could say, "Well, you know what? If you were on the other side, look, I didn't have anything on this game. I'm just telling you how it went down." And it was an obvious mistake, guys. It, it this was an obvious mistake that you could go back and you could look at. But that wasn't the only big mistake. No, no, no. The entire outcome of the entire tainted home run derby now is completely tarnished in multiple ways with Julio Rodriguez losing to Juan Soto. And I use the term losing uh, very loosely with a grain of salt here because he didn't really lose. And I'll tell you why. So Julio Rodriguez didn't lose for multiple reasons. And here's why. Reason number one was you're, you're trusting the tape measure and, and the distance levers of ESPN in real time. You're testing them. They have admitted in the past, anybody that's ever you know, kind of looking how far a home run goes, that they are basically guesstimating. They, they have admitted that for a long time now, that they are guesstimating. Well, the home run rules are very simple. 30 seconds everybody gets after they do their standard round. It's called bonus time. But you get an extra 30 seconds if you hit two balls for 440 feet or longer. Well, Juan Soto had one without a problem. I'm sorry, uh, Julio Rodriguez had one without a problem. Juan Soto got his two. But Julio Rodriguez's second ball traveled 337 or 338 feet, depending on who you're talking to. Call me skeptical. That we're trusting someplace that said, oh, by the way, we're kind of guesstimating. But, okay, I can live with that. I can live with that. That's number one. I can live with it, but it doesn't sit well with me. But I can live with that Julio Rodriguez getting robbed there. Because clearly, Juan Soto was the favorite to win this, and everybody wanted him to win. Okay, next up is the idea that there are rules in place. And there are rules in place that say you cannot throw the next pitch until your home run lands. Now, Julio Rodriguez's pitcher throughout the entire tournament continued to look over his shoulder, watch the back, watch the ball land, which then he would turn around and throw the pitch. Pete Alonso, by the way, who's been in this multiple times, his pitcher doesn't turn around. He waits for the catcher to signal, so the catcher is watching it land. uh, A little bit probably... Trimming out a couple of seconds, a little bit more, so he probably gets what one or two more pitches over a three-minute time span. Very smart by Pete Alonso, okay? Uh, and we've watched—we watched it all night. People taking a little advantage of it. Well, Juan Soto gets up, and with seconds to go, Juan Soto's swinging for the fences, trying to get that that lead, trying to get the win in his extra bonus time. The entire three minutes, Juan Soto. Has the umpire holding his hand up saying, wait, while the pitch is being thrown. I counted six different times where the umpire was saying, no, don't throw the pitch. Juan Soto's pitcher, threw the pitch. Juan Soto hit home runs. Six different times I counted. But I could get past even that. Even that. The cheating. The blatant cheating. I could get past even that. What drove me the most nuts, okay, is that not only should the 15th home run not have counted, which many people jumped out there, um, but at the end of the game, at the end of the day, Juan Soto hit his last home run with mere seconds to go. So maybe he would have had one more shot at another swing or two. But he had a home run to win it with seconds to go. The home run had 0-0-0 on the clock to get him there. Zero seconds left. It was plain as day. Zero seconds left on the clock for everybody to see. And what happens? Pitch is thrown. Juan Soto clearly hits a home run. And everybody celebrates. And there it is. Your new winner. Your new champion. Bad Bunny brings out the uh, the trophy, which is ridiculous in its own right. And here it is. Well, well why? Why? Why did they allow that? Why did they allow multiple cheating? multiple times that there was a a blatant cheat, a blatant error. If you want to not call Juan to a cheater, because it's not really his fault, just the situation, it doesn't matter. It falls on the backs of ESPN, and it falls on the backs of Major League Baseball. And you can say, Tom, it's no big deal. It's only the home run derby. But there were people holding tickets. I was holding Julio Rodriguez ticket. Not that I really cared overall, uh, but there were people holding pretty large tickets here. Pretty large tickets on both sides of the counter. Pretty large tickets on Juan Soto, who got a lot more action than Julio Rodriguez. So the, the giant overriding question here is how much can we trust the conversation that there is integrity? How much can we trust that conversation? That there is integrity in sports betting. Now, I have never, ever, ever said, you know what? This was a fixed game. I don't use that word. I think it's ridiculous. I think anybody that uses the term fixed game doesn't understand sports. Okay? We have had crooked refs. There have been spotty situations. There have been fixed and rigged games. Absolutely. It doesn't happen overwhelmingly at the professional level, although it probably does here and there. But you won't hear me taking that complaint. What I do expect is that if a league turns around and tells you they're going to watch integrity and uses that term time and time again, that there will be some kind of integrity. Now We've watched it devolve in certain spots, and certain situations, but I always look at it from the other side of the coin. Because we are dealing with humans. We are dealing with errors. We are dealing with people making mistakes. We're dealing with a lot of it. Too many things went on for Juan Soto to win that. Too many blatant errors went on. Could I get past, you know, them pitching? You know, what are you going to do? You're going to stop a home run derby in the middle of the home run derby and tell him, you know, you're pitching too fast? Ah, I guess that would be a hard case. I guess that's hard. But look, I don't get paid the big bucks to control that. But I guess that would be difficult, okay? Uh, Juan Soto, you know, uh, well, you, you swing in here. that? Nah, I guess that would be difficult. But you can't miss a ball that goes over the fence for Kyle Schwarber. And you cannot allow. At the end of the game, the day, when they threw the final pitch to Juan Soto, the announcer said, oh, I don't think they're going to count that. I don't know if they're going to count that. There are questions. There are questions real time, live, about the integrity of the sport. There were questions. And you can tell me it's just the Home Run Derby. But, guys, the Home Run Derby is a display. It's a display of what your sport is. This is why Acuna and Soto are in this competition. It is a display of the youngsters. It's a display of Major League Baseball. Don't tell me you can miss the obvious stuff. How are we allowed to get away with this in Major League Baseball? If Michael Jordan's in a home run uh, in a uh home run well, he wish he was he was. If Michael Jordans in a slam dunk contest and he does a 360 like over a car through his legs behind the back and slams it down. But the ball hits the back of the rim and, and goes out and he turns around and he's celebrating you go oh, it went in. Yeah, it's a 10. It went in, but we all saw that it didn't. We all watched the ball go over the fence for Schwarber. We all saw that. How is that missed? They they took commercials, right? They had minutes to do it. It should not take that long. How many eyes were on that sitting in New York in the main office of Major League Baseball? How do you allow that to happen? And if you want to kind of say, okay, well, they did it for pools, and I get it then you still can't talk about integrity. I, I I, am sympathetic as why they may have overlooked it for pools I am not, I'm sure Kyle Schwaber isn't upset about it at right now. I, I get it. And if that was the only incident, ah, you would hear a blip on the radar today. You wouldn't hear much. I wouldn't be opening the show about it. But because it happened in the fashion that it happened, it's something we do have to talk about. Because We still will have many mistakes in sports. We still will have questions that will have sports better scratching their head and wondering, hmm, was that on the up and up? Was that on the level? Now, I'm not telling you that it wasn't, but it's clear misses. It's the clear misses that must be corrected. We watched that in the NFL. For years, we watched in the NFL. Clear misses and people kind of freaking out. Oh, you know, I mean, come on. And they instituted more and more instant replay. We're talking about, guys, we're sitting here talking about robot umpires. I can live with a bad umpire. I can live with a bad call at first base. But apparently Major League Baseball can't until it comes to the home run derby where a ball goes over the fence and they forget to count it. Where the the clock says zero zero they forget to do. And you can tell me, you know what, Tom? You get upset about the Aaron Rodgers thing. And I do. Aaron Rodgers continuously, his entire career, breaks, uh, breaks the, the rules. Continuously. He snaps the ball with no time left on the clock all the time. And the officials just afraid to call something on Aaron Rodgers. Okay. And if that happened to win a championship, I, I, don't, I don't care if it was the home run derby or not. If that happened to win a championship, I'd be up in arms there too. And you would bet that the NFL would put in a rule to fix it. That's the difference. Major League Baseball after this must act. I don't know what exactly they're gonna do, but they've got to act. First, they have to admit that there, that there was a problem. And that is going to be the crux of the sports betting world. Major League Baseball has to admit that they screwed it up. And then the sports books, are they gonna are they gonna pay out Schwarber? Are they gonna pay out Julio Rodriguez? No. But they have to admit it. And they have to put rules in place to fix this. You can't have an event. I don't care that it's an exhibition. I don't care that it's a home run derby. I don't care that I told you guys not to bet on it. I don't care that you guys think it's silly to bet on. I don't care about any of that. What I'm telling you now is that these things will continue to happen. I need to see how Major League Baseball is going to react. How is Major League Baseball going to react to a clear-cut mistake by them? A clear-cut integrity issue mistake by them. I'm going to sit back. I'm not expecting much. But it would be really refreshing if they did say, hey, we screwed it up. We're not going to let it happen again next year. We'll do A, B, and C to fix it. All right, guys, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. When we do, we're going to talk about the second half, some prop plays, and futures bets that you can make in that second half. All that and more right after this right here on Wagering Week.
0: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio, and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
1: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Now back to wagering week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get the gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. Right. What are the odds?
2: What are the odds? Well, the entire All-Star break seemed to be about Juan Soto and the news dropping that he turned down $440 million, 15-year contract. And the Washington Nationals made everybody jump to the conclusion that, well, Juan Soto will be available. Washington basically said, "Okay, we're going to make him available. You know, come calling. So let's talk about the odds on who could land him. The New York Mets are right there. They're number one. 4-1 4 to 1 odds. The Yankees are right behind them at 5 to 1 odds. San Francisco comes in at +550. The Dodgers are 6 to 1 odds. Toronto +650. St. Louis is 7 to 1 odds. Seattle 750. Boston 9 to 1, Houston 10 to 1. Atlanta and Philadelphia come in at 12 to 1. San Diego, Chicago and the Angels are 14 to 1. That is what are the odds. So let's talk about Juan Soto. I mean where do I think he's going to go is continuously the, the question, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around the idea that Juan Soto will be going this year. We're sitting here, and depending on when you're listening to this, we're, we're less than two weeks away. We're 12 days, 11 days when you're listening to this program away from the trading deadline. It's August 2nd, guys. The trading deadline is right around the corner. And when you're talking about the trading deadline, it's hard for people to kind of wrap around their head to get something like this and a deal like this together very quickly. There are multiple reports that there's actually only a couple of teams that could get this done when you're talking about what they would have to do. And I'll tell you, look, from a Yankee fan perspective, and I am a Yankee fan, unabashed Yankee fan, I'm not sitting here telling you uh, that I'm down the middle. I don't know if I want Juan Soto. And here's why. Of course I want Juan Soto. (laughs) It's what is the price that's going to be for Juan Soto. Bringing in Juan Soto during a pennant push, during a World Series push, during an MVP for campaign for Aaron Judge, when Aaron Judge is sitting here waiting for a large contract, that's a problem. I think that'll be detriment to the entire Yankees organization and especially to Aaron Judge. There's no way that you could come in, bring in Juan Soto with the attachment that you're going to have to pay him $550 million plus, right? I mean, that's what we're looking at, $545, 50000000 million or more and then look at Aaron Judge and say, we don't have money for you, but you're having an MVP campaign, but you're having a better year than Juan Soto, but you're having a better year than Juan Soto's ever had, and oh, by the way, you're our center fielder, and you're also leading a charge for the World Series. You can't do that to Aaron Judge. You just can't. So you look at a guy, and you go, okay, that's a situation. That's number one. Number two, I don't care who you are. I have a problem giving anyone a long-term contract when we're talking about 15 years. I ripped apart the Tatis deal, okay? I understand that on the back end, it'll be paid better. A lot can happen in 15 years. A lot can happen in 10 years. A lot can happen in five years. You know, Juan Soto of turned down $440 million, and people, uh, you know, even my wife said to me, oh, I can't believe, you know, he turned that down. I said, no, 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 he turned down $29 million a year where a guy like Max Scherzer is getting paid 43, and the top 20 players in baseball are getting paid more than 30 or more. So, when you put it like that, I'm not telling you that Juan Soto shouldn't get more money. It's the years that worry me. It's also the idea that what would I rather have, forget about long term, for the next 15 years, I want Juan Soto over Aaron Judge. For the next 10 years, do I want Juan Soto or Aaron Judge? I want Juan Soto. For the next five years? I I, I don't know. I'm kind of in the judge camp. I think that Aaron Judge is a better player today. I think Aaron Judge is probably the better player for the next two or three years. Or it's very close. I mean, it's very, very close. Okay? Aaron Judge is also the face of the team. You go to Yankee Stadium, you see him. And a lot of what people are talking about with Juan Soto is the speculation factor. Well, he could be this. Well, he's going to be that. But we don't know that. I think that the Yankees have a better opportunity to trade for a Luis Castillo this year, and win the World Series, than trading for a Juan Soto because I think it disrupts chemistry. Plus the fact that, oh, by the way, the last thing I didn't mention, they would have to give up a slew of minor leaguers. Now, I am in the camp, give up minor leaguers for the win now. The pennant flies forever. Who cares in 5, 10 years if everyone's kicking themselves for Peraza and Volpe and Wells. But it will take a massive haul. For the first time in a long time, the New York Yankees really do have a good collection of minor leaguers. Okay, Like I said, you have Volpe, you have Peraza, you have a catcher in Wells. You have multiple catchers, I should say. You have Waldachek, a potential number two. You have a lot of bullpen guys. Trey Sweeney, probably going to move over to third base, but he's a shortstop right now. Floriel, Jason Dominguez, Cooper Bowman, uh, Elijah Durham. I'm sure I'm missing some guys. They have a good collection of minor leaguers. Do I mind giving up some of them? No, absolutely not. But give up some piss off Aaron Judge pay a guy 550 and 15 years during a a position where the Yankees have the best record in baseball today by a large margin i don't think the Yankees are going to be in this thing i really don't and the the idea that the Yankees can have Soto and Judge i wrote about this in, in our weekly paper that we do i wrote about this there can be because a lot of these guys come off the book. Or oldest Chapman, one of those guys that come off the book, right? I mean, you have a lot of these guys that are coming off the book in the next year or two. Uh, in two years, there's going to be like $53 million off the book. I mean, they, they can do this and kind of suck it up for a year or two. But I don't think Aaron Judge is going to be too happy. I don't think that clubhouse will be too happy. And if you're making me decide between Aaron Judge and, and Juan Soto right now, I'm taking Aaron Judge this year. 15 years? Yeah, I'm taking Soto. I don't like signing anybody with a 15-year deal. How about the New York Mets? New York Mets make the most sense here, and that's why they're 4-1. to one. Stevie Cohen came in. I'm Uncle Stevie. Nobody's going to outbid me. I'm going to get the biggest prizes. I'm going to bring everything home. He got Lindor. He got Scherzer. He wants to be able to go out there and spend, but he doesn't have a face of the franchise. Look, DeGrom might leave after this year. Scherzer's getting up there. In three years, who's the face of the franchise? He thought it was going to be Lindor, whose play has dropped off massively. I'm not saying that he had a bad year this year. Not even an all-star. So, you don't have a face of your franchise. You get a guy like Juan Soto. Specifically, with the Hispanic influence in New York, they're going to fall in love with a Juan Soto. His play on the field, the culture, the atmosphere, everything. I mean, you're getting everything. Okay? And you thought you were getting a lot of that in Francisco Lindor. Lindor for a while there. 33 on runs, 38, 32. He was batting 284, 277. You know, he he's stealing 25, 22, 19 bases uh, since 2020. Now, 2020, you kind of throw out, but, but 2020, uh, look, even in that shortened season, I could throw it out, but eight home runs and 258 average in 60 games, that, that's not too good. 2021, 20 home runs, 63 RBIs. A guy batted 230. All right, it's okay. We'll overlook it. 2022, he's on pace right now for like 26, 27 home runs, 247 average little over 100 RBIs. He's a very good player. He's not the face of your franchise where Juan Soto certainly can become that. I don't know if the Mets are in a position to really go out there for 15 years, but I think that they can. I think they can pay him. I think they need a face of the franchise. I think they certainly have in Beattie and Alvarez, they certainly have the minor league system to do it, and they want want a pennant this year. They want to win now. They got DeGrom and Scherzer on the team. They want to win right now. Edwin Diaz is a free agent after this year. They want to win now. The Mets seem like the most sense to me. San Francisco Giants, I see a lot on the Giants, but a lot of reports are saying Giants aren't really in this thing. The Giants do have the minor league system. Helio Ramirez, uh, uh, Luciano, they have the minor leagues, uh, Toribo, they have the minor league system to do this. And the San Francisco Giants have the money. They, They don't act like a franchise that has the money, but they have the money. Look, they went out and they got bonds, right? I mean, They have the money to go out and get that big name. I don't see it. I don't believe in San Francisco. I don't believe in the Dodgers at 6-1. to one. I think everybody's looking at the Dodgers because they spend money like crazy, because they go overboard, because they they throw money at everybody. Uh, but Trey Turner's a free agent this year. They have to re-sign Kershaw after the year that he's having. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys on the books where eventually the checks have to dry up. And I think that Juan Soto is a guy that you ask the Dodger fans, if you put him on this team, does he give you a championship? And the Dodgers are going, we might be able to get there without him. And it's kind of the same thing with the Yankees right now. If you put him on the team, do you guarantee yourself a championship? No, you can't guarantee anything. Does he get you marketably closer? Well, the Dodgers and the Yankees feel like, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty close anyway. The Toronto Blue Jays are 6-1. to one. I don't get this one. Toronto has never been the big spender. Toronto certainly doesn't need offense. They need pitching. Toronto doesn't make any sense at 6-1 to one to me. 6-1, to one is it, it's just not... I, I can't see it. I, I mean, look... They have the minor league system, but I can't see it. St. Louis at 7-1 is interesting. St. Louis at 7-1 is very interesting because they are already into Arenado, already into Goldschmidt. They're pushing for first place. But they're dealing with a lot of pitching problems. Flaherty's a, a problem. Wainwright might be leaving after this year. They had a lot of arm injuries. So, to me, they they need a frontline pitcher. They don't need another hitter. But you know what? Juan Soto would look good in St. Louis. I mean, he really does fit them really well. I think St. Louis... As seven to one is somebody that, that it's a team that everybody's overlooking. It's something that everyone's kind of glancing over. Hey, you saw their shortstop Mason win through it hundred miles per hour from shortstop. I mean, you know these things that they, they they have a decent minor league system, but they can give major league ready players. And what I'm hearing is that Washington wants basically major league ready players. And when I say basically, I mean uh, you know Oswald Peraza from the Yankees, who's ready. He should he should have been up two months ago, is basically a major league ready player. Uh, but you could give guys like a Tyler O'Neill, maybe a Bader. You give a lot, a lot of these arms out of the bullpen, a Cabrera. The, the, the Cardinals are right to me. It's the Mets, Cardinals, Se- uh, Se- Seattle uh, plus seven fifty. I think Seattle's just going to kind of stay where they are. They have the new face of their franchise is Julio Rodriguez. They still believe in Jared Kalenic. They have youngsters coming up in Gilbert and Kirby, and the arms coming up there. Um, Seattle can certainly spend. They certainly can spend. To me, they're more of a sleeper. And at 7.5 to 1, it doesn't make sense. Boston at 9 to 1, I almost put them out of this. I don't see their minor like they might not resign Devers. They may not resign Bogarts. They completely made a mess with Chris Sale. That was a disaster. I don't think Boston's in this thing. I don't think Houston's in it either. At 10 to 1. He makes sense for Houston. Uh, but does Houston really need more outfield? Does Houston need more power? Does Houston need more offense? It doesn't make sense at 10 to 1. The, the number doesn't make sense at 10 to 1. Same thing with Atlanta, 12 to 1. Philly at twelve to one is interesting, but are you gonna only? Yeah, you know, you're gonna be into Bryce Harper, Real Muto, Schwarberg, asilianos and and, and him, I mean, you're getting into a position where they're gonna have to resign guys like Nola and Wheeler. Uh, too much on the books. The White Sox fourteen to one again, same sort of situation. Too much on the books already. The Angels are fourteen to one. Why are they even on this list? They, they may not sign Otani. I, I mean, no, 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 no. That that is a bad call right there. The Padres are the last team at twelve to one. And I see a lot of people that I respect in this business telling me that the Padres make some sense. A lot of people that I respect in this business telling me the Padres can make the push. Now, there is no doubt in anyone's mind, specifically in my mind, that the Padres absolutely have the prospects to do this. They have the minor league system to do it. They could take guys out of a minor league system. Their top huge guys, Robert Hassel, Abrams, they could take two or three guys, and it doesn't really impact not only this year, really the future. I mean, their, their minor league system is stacked. They could certainly do that. They certainly need the offense. You know, without Tatis in the lineup, you're looking at an offense where most of the team is batting like 250 or under. Even a guy like Jake Hornsworth, who's an all star, fantastic peripherals, uh, he's about 250 hitter. Kim's a 250 hitter. Go down the list, you know, right? I mean, Hosmer has fallen off massively. Go, go down the list of San Diego. They need the offense. And you put him and Tatis? Whoa. But there you go. Do you want to lock him and Tatis up for, you know, what is the equivalent of 27 years in contract and like, you know, like a billion dollars in this? I mean, it's unbelievable. The the I don't think that happens just because you're locking up two players to that ridiculous monster situation. So overall, look, there's a chance he goes to St. Louis – um, and at seven to one, mm, it's just outside. If they were ten to one, I'd be all over St. Louis just for pure odds' sake. Seven to one is just not quite enough for me, and and I think that he goes to the Mets. I think he winds up on the New York Mets. The New York Mets have good prospects that can tempt them. They certainly need it. They need the free face of the franchise. They need that guy. Lindor's not that guy. I think that they do it, and you got to look at it from Steve uh, from Steve <laughs> Uncle Stevie, right? I, I almost call him Steve Phillips. That was the Mets. Uh, You have to look at it from Steve Cohen's point of view and saying, well, we're going to lose Scherzer in a couple of years. You know what I mean? So we don't have to eat this for the whole 15 years. By the time Juan Soto hits his prime, we're going to lose DeGrom. We're going to lose Scherzer. You know, Starling Marte will be off the books. You have a couple of guys. I think he's going to be a New York Met, but I won't lay the 4-1 to to bet on that. All right, guys, I want to take a quick, uh, before we go into the futures bets, I want to take just a quick look at the schedules coming up because this does mean something here, guys. You know, strength of schedule left. And how many teams are how many games are left, and how what's the strength of schedule left? Well, the toughest strength of schedule from here on out are the Colorado Rockies. Boston comes next. Arizona after that. Tampa Bay, Baltimore, Washington, Oakland, Kansas City, Toronto, and the Yankees round out the top ten toughest schedules. San Francisco, Miami, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, San Diego, and the Dodgers are all five hundred or better. And then you get into the weakest schedules: Detroit, Minnesota. The Angels, Cleveland, Milwaukee, the Mets, Houston, Seattle are all a 480 winning percentage or better. You have the five weakest from five counting down. Cincinnati is five. The Cubs are four. Philly is three. The White Sox are two. And the St. Louis Cardinals are one. St. Louis Cardinals have the easiest schedule. They have 11 games left against the Reds, seven games against the Nationals, 11 games left against the Cubs, nine against Pittsburgh, three against Arizona, six against Colorado. The White Sox have 7 against the A's, 11 against KC, 9 against Detroit, 3 against Arizona, 4 against Texas, 4 against Colorado. Philadelphia, 11 against Washington, 7 against Cincinnati, 6 against Pittsburgh, 6 against the Cubs, 3 against Arizona, 9 against the Marlins. You start looking at this and how are we going to bet the second half. I I think it's really important to look at strength of schedule in all aspects. I, I talk about this in every sport. So let's look at toughest strength of schedule. Look, Colorado has overachieved a little bit this year. Uh, They can't win away from home. They're an atrocious team away from Colorado. They are as bad as we expected them to be. I think that they sell off some assets here. I think their closer might be out. Maybe a CJ Kron. Maybe they get a taker for Blackman. I think they sell off some assets here. So a team that might be selling also has the toughest schedule in baseball. Ten against the Dodgers. Four against the Mets. Three against the Atlanta Braves. Eight against San Diego. Seven against the Milwaukee. Six against St. Louis. Ouch. So I'd be betting against Colorado. Betting against Boston, they looked better. But now without Chris Sale, you have to look at them and say their strength of schedule is dominating as well. Nine against the Yankees, three against Houston, two against Atlanta, nine against the Rays, three against Milwaukee, nine against Toronto. That's tough. Arizona has one of the toughest strength of schedule. I would be betting against Arizona all day long because of their tough schedule. Tampa Bay as well. And Baltimore, they're a magical story. They still have 11 against Boston, 6 against the Yankees, 7 against Houston, 7 against the Rays, 3 against the Guardians. That's tough. Tough schedule. Really tough. Look at some teams that you, you might go on and you go, okay, well, you, you're not betting against the Yankees with the 10th best schedule, but Toronto? I don't think Toronto has achieved what we thought that they would. I think Toronto's having a, a bad year, according to their estimations. Yeah, they're, they're ninth hardest schedule. But how about the other side of the things. Look, Milwaukee has a, a top 10 easiest schedule, so sort than of the Mets. And the Mets close it out, by the way. The last, like, if you're a fantasy player, the last, like, two, three weeks of the season, the Mets have junk. Absolute junk. Houston should run away with this. But wait a minute, Seattle's right behind them. 24th and 25th toughest, toughest schedule. Cincinnati, I don't expect much from them. The Cubs, I don't expect a lot from them either. Actually, the Cubs actually play Mets, Milwaukee, Toronto, Philly, St. Louis, San Francisco in the second half as well. I don't expect a lot. Philly, the White Sox, and St. Louis, are interesting buying opportunities. The Philadelphia Phillies, I thought, were going to go in the tank. I thought they, they were going to crash and burn. Uh, they didn't. Uh, they, they held court here with no Bryce Harper. Harper will eventually be back. But can they continue to hold court? Well, their strength of schedule is, is weak. I mean, they do have 12 against Atlanta, 7 against the Mets. So you have a lot of division games left, a lot of room to improve. I think Nola's better than we've seen. I think Wheeler really has a good second half. Philadelphia's a team I'll be looking at betting on. I already told you guys, I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, I like the White Sox. I still think that the White Sox win this division. How about that? I think that they can clean up with 18 games against the with 18 games against the Royals and A's. And how about this? 27 games against the Royals, A's, and Tigers. Throw in seven more against Arizona and Colorado. You're talking about 35, 40 games against just junk teams. They're going to win 20-25 of those guys. I mean, junk teams and they're getting healthier. White Sox second half absolutely is is in it for me. And then you look at the St. Louis Cardinals. The easiest second half schedule. Sure they have 3 against the Yankees, 3 against LA, 3 against Atlanta, 3 against San Diego, 7 against Milwaukee and 2 against Toronto. They have some. Guys, they have 22 games against the Reds, Cubs. Uh, I'm sorry. 31 games if you want to include the Pirates. 31 games against Pirates, Cubs, Reds. 38 games against Pirates, Reds, Cubs, Washington. 47 games. Washington, Reds, Cubs, Pirates, Arizona, Colorado. 47 games against those teams. Guys, 47. They only have 68 games left. 68 games left. 47. Against Washington Cincinnati the Cubs Pittsburgh Arizona and Colorado Let, let's be realist here I, I mean 47 games guys that's unbelievable so out of, out of the 47 games how many games do you think that they could win they're certainly winning 30 right can they win can they win 40 can they win 40 47 against those teams very likely I I mean really I, I, that, that might be that might be enough They might not need a win against the Yankees, L.A., Atlanta, San Diego, or Toronto. I am all over, all over St. Louis in the second half. I will tell you that. That's absolutely for sure. But that's way down in the future. Now let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet Bet to the future. Okay, guys, let's go bet to the future. Bet to the future brings us... To the American League Cy Young Odds. And there was some controversy. Who should start the All-Star Game? So this could get pretty interesting. And it does. Shane McClanahan is on top. He started the All-Star Game. Plus 220 returning him for him. Justin Verlander plus 260. That was kind of the controversy. Shohei Otani plus six to 6-1. You can get him as high as 8-1 to one if you shop around. Garrett Cole is 8-1. There's some nine to ones hanging out there. Dylan Cease is 10 to one. Kevin Gaussman is 20 to one. Alex Minot is also 20 to one. Logan Gilbert gets up to 30 to one. Shane Bieber is 40 to one. Frambert Valdez is 55 to one. Robbie Ray is 50 to one. And then you guys have like Kopek, Perez, Means, Javier, Skubel, Tyon, Sandoval, all at 100 to one or more. That is bet to the future. And one guy I'm kind of interested in hundred 100 to one or more is Clay Holmes. I, I always love the idea to argue for a reliever, even though they, they never they never seem to win it. But I, I did want to take a look at all of these future plays. Um, where if you're not in it already, it, it's not too late. You could get in on this and you could kind of find some decent areas. Look, big time numbers, guys. Look, guys like Montes and Granke and Blackburn and Holmes and Ryan Severino, Sandoval, Tyone, Scoobo. Look, they're not they're not winning. Yeah, I mean, they're just not winning it. I do think Robbie Ray is an interesting one, because you could find him as high as 70-1. to one. I mean, that's that's fantastic odds. Robbie Ray has turned his season around. Robbie Ray has looked much, much, much better of late. Uh, Robbie Ray is on a team that probably will finish in second place, but they look like they're getting back into this thing. And, and Robbie Ray, look, y- you probably don't want to give it to him two years in a row, and his 3.50 ERA doesn't look overly impressive, But I'm telling you, he's really, really turned it on of late. He's coming off of a six-inning, 12-strikeout performance. That's his second 12-strikeout performance in the last three games. He's got three double-digit strikeout performances in his last six games. I mean, you know, you start to look at him for a long shot, not the worst long shot out there. I'm not throwing my money on him. I think Lobert Gilbert and Alex Manoa make a little bit of sense, but I worry about their innings limit. Same thing with even Dylan Sisu. I mean, he could crawl back into this thing. Garrett Cole has looked phenomenal, and I think that people really do believe that Garrett Cole kind of got robbed last year. It's not going to go to Otani because Otani's not going to pitch the 30-plus starts because the Angels are going to be out of it. So they're going to do what they did last year. They're going to stop that, and they're going to sit him. Verlander will have no need to pitch late in the year. And Cole may not. I mean, this is McLaren, but I'm not laying two to one on him. Cole would be my guy at the current. You could even find a nine to one out there. The current nine to one, I would give him a stab if we're really going out there and trying to make, make some sense of this. How about National League Cy Young? Well, here's where I do find some interesting ones. Sandy Alcantara is minus 130. Corbin Burns is six to one, seven to one, depending where you're looking. Joe Musgrove. 14 to 1. Tony Goslin, 14 to 15 to 1. Max Fried, 15 to 1. Zach Wheeler's 18 to 1. Carlos Rodon is nearly 20 to 1. Max Scherzer's 30 to 1. Nola is 35 to 1. Kershaw is 60 to 1. Logan Webb is 70 to 1. Then you have guys like Strider and Wright and Urias. Uh Woodruff, Gallen. A lot of good names here. A lot of good names here. I, it, you start to look at Okay, who who might have that kind of that shot in the second half? You Darvish at 125 to one has put together a really good year. Now again, I don't think he's going to win it, but if you look at what he's done this year, and you look at uh, the odds, he's got under a one ERA, three point four one. Uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, under a one WHIP, three point four one ERA. I don't think he gets there. 125 to 1 is just ridiculous odds. Same thing with Brandon Woodruff. I don't think he gets there, though. Pablo Lopez could be interesting, but he's got to leapfrog his own teammate there. Julio Urias. Ooh, 100 to 1. Spencer Strider is going to be somebody that everybody jumps on. So let's go to the top. Look, everybody has a problem here. Al- Alcantara is leading the way at minus 130, which he is a massive favorite. Corbin Burns is right there. Corbin Burns is having another phenomenal season, which we're used to. Joe Musgrove is having a great season, but Joe Musgrove had, has not looked good. In three of his last four starts, at least not Cy Young worthy. Tony Gonslin, you know for a fact that they're going to limit his innings. Max Freed, okay, solid, maybe 15 to 1, uh, uh, interest you. Zach Wheeler, 18 to 1, certainly right there. Carlos Rodon has been fantastic. If you believe Carlos Rodon at nearly 20 to 1 odds can continue what he's been doing, he could be a value. I just don't know if they let him pitch that far. Clayton Kershaw has the numbers to make this competitive. Clayton Kershaw starting the All-Star game, and he's 60 to 1, guys. 60 to 1. Clayton Kershaw makes a lot of sense. And Logan Webb at 70 to 1 does make a lot of sense. If you want to take a stab, look at Logan Webb overall on the year. I know San Francisco isn't what they once were, but he's a little less than a strikeout an inning. 1.10 ERA, 2.83 um, is his ERA, and his whip is, is 1.10 absolutely fantastic. He has been lights out. He's got wins in his last two. He went eight innings, one run before that. His K numbers are not massive and maybe that's what's keeping that down. But guys, a 2.83 ERA. We have to start thinking about Logan Webb at 70 to one. He's turned it around recently. And then you got to look at Kershaw, the obvious. I know he's 34 years old and I know that he's Clayton Kershaw. Guys, Seven wins. All right, that doesn't jump off the table at you. And he's got more strikeouts than innings pitch. He's got an 091 whip and a 2.13 ERA. He also has been absolutely fantastic recently. He's got one blow up in, Colorado. If you take that blow up out of it, six out of the last seven starts, including that one. Six of the last seven starts guys. He's allowed two runs or less. In those other six starts outside of the Colorado blowup in in Colorado, which happens, his combined earned runs are four in those six starts. He also has gotten better on the strikeouts. The last three starts, eight, ten, and six strikeouts. Clayton Kershaw, right now, it looks like a good value at 60-1 to odds, and he would be somebody I always talk about, you know, Going out there and you're betting on somebody that um, the writers are voting for, you're betting on somebody that people are voting for, he's got that sentimental kind of flavor to him, right? So I don't know. 60 to 1 Clayton Cursor to win the Cy Young makes a little bit of sense. How about Rookie of the Year, American League? Well, Julio Rodriguez just put on a show. You could still get him at 4 to 1. Pena out of Houston, 7-1. Bobby Witt at 12-1. I thought Bobby Witt should be up there. Rushman's 25 or 30-1. to Joe Ryan's about 40-1. to I think Bobby Witt could make a push. Julio Rodriguez put on a show. He's going to be the name. He's going to be what everybody's kind of going to jump in on. I wouldn't be surprised if Bobby Witt makes this a game, though. I, I, he is really good. How about National League Rookie of the Year? Spencer Strider is about plus 180. Michael Harris, plus to 2-1. Um, O'Neal Cruz is about eight to one, depending on where you look at. It. You can find him as high as ten to one. Suzuki's ten to one, fourteen to one. I don't like that. I don't like Gorman at sixteen to one. I don't like Donovan at twenty to one. Gore is falling off the map at twenty-five to one. Um, so uh, nothing there to me. I mean, this is kind of Strider or Harris. Maybe Cruz gets ridiculously hot, but for me, no, I'm not. I'm not going down that path. And then we go to a really fun one. Most regular season home runs now. Aaron Judge is the leader, but you could get him as low as one forty. Kyle Schwarber plus two twenty coming back. Pete Alonso is twenty to one. Alvarez is thirty to one. It gets really high after that. Trout's twenty five. Austin Riley's about twenty to one. That's an interesting guy because he's so hot. And Giancarlo Stanton at twenty five to one makes a little bit of sense there as well. Look, it, you're basically betting against Aaron Judge at that point, which is just really really tough. How about most regular season strikeouts? And this is something I have a small play on before the season. I kind of like it right now. I would go back into it. Garrett Cole is nearly 4-1. to one. He's plus 350, plus 400, depending where you shop. McClanahan is leading the way, plus 400. But I don't think that McClanahan is going to continue to pitch like this because they're not going to need him to. Burns at plus 350 as well. Dylan Cease is plus 350. Robbie Ray, 9-1. to one. Uh, you could get you can have a little fun with the most strikeouts. How about most saves? Most saves right now, uh, you know, you, you don't really look at most saves a, as the most, but I thought Kenley Jansen has a shot because he was just rolling right along before he got sick. Um, Kenley Jansen, he's got over 20 saves already. He's got a shot, and you got odds more than double digits for Kenley Jansen. So that's somebody I would certainly take a look at. Most regular season wins. Uh, Garrett Cole on top of that one as well. at 8-1. Uh, Walker Bueller led off the year as being the favorite. Yeah, he's nowhere near there. Uh, you, you look at uh, Corbin Burns could get into this thing. Julio Urias could get into this thing. Um, overall, look, I think it's very smart to always pay attention to, uh, you know, the Futures plays. I don't love to go into them mid-year unless I see an avenue. And when you're talking about avenues to lead the league here or there, I don't think I'm going to lay the money with Aaron judge, but I think he certainly leads the league in home runs. Sure. I, if you want to go and make a bet there American league, Cy Young, I still think that Cole has a little bit of value. He might not have that value for very long, so if you're going to bet it, you want to bet that now. I think that Cole has a little bit of value, but it's hard to bet against McClannan, and the fan favorite would be, obviously, Verlander. You look at, um, you know, Rookie of the Year, I think it's fairly set. You can take a stab at Bobby Witt if you want to go down that road. But it's the National League MVP, I'm sorry, the National League uh, Cy Young, that really does stand out to me. The National League Cy Young, with Clayton Kershaw getting 60-1 to 1 back, the guy is starting the All-Star game. It's in L.A. His team is more than likely going to be a first-place team. He is the sentimental favorite. If he's close, if his numbers are close, they're going to want to give it to him. And really, here's the thing. The guy that might give him the biggest push is on his team. And I, I come late August, early September, and all the way into September, they're going to limit Gonslin's numbers. They're going to limit his innings. I don't think that he's going to keep continuing this. I wonder in a world where Tony Goslin didn't exist if Clayton Kershaw would be in a better position, but he's been absolutely fantastic here. Coming out of the second half, you got to hope for a a much better uh, health-wise from Clayton Kershaw, but he's upticked on his strikeouts, which is massive. If he could average a strikeout an inning going forward, he's got seven wins, and he's only pitched 70-something innings right now. If Clayton Kershaw is, you know, Numbers find out wind up in the second half. 1415 wins. You're talking about uh, you know, hundred and sixty, hundred and seventy strikeouts in 160, 170 innings, a 2, 210, 205 ERA, and an under one whip. Guys, I think he's got a shot. I think if you're looking for a long shot, it sounds weird, but Clayton Kershaw is still a long shot number. Clayton Kershaw's still got big odds. I like that. That's where I'm going to go. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. Hope you guys enjoy the All-Star break next week. We're going to come back. We're going to start taking a little more look at training camps they're gonna start opening up I want to look at some football numbers early on we've already gotten a lot of MVP votes I'll take a look at some of that we'll we'll really start digging into football and start becoming football centric lots of things that could go on in Major League Baseball trade deadline over the next seven days as well as hey potentially KD a new landing spot even though I don't think he's going anywhere I think he's gonna stay in Brooklyn all that next week I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week we'll be back and you can bet on that